0: Well, Welcome back to another episode of FinTech Walkabout, where we're interviewing interesting people from the realms of open banking. Joined today by a challenger in the personal loan space, Rob. Um, Rob Pascoe, founder and CEO of Plend. It'd be great if we could just get a quick intro from yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm Rob. I'm one of the, the co founders of Plend. Um, so Plend is an ethical consumer lender focused on scoring people or lending to people who don't have um, sort of Data held on them by big credit bureaus and reference agencies, um, or they're invisible to the credit reference agencies, and we try to provide a, a much more affordable, longer-term solution to these people. Um, at uh, yeah, by a plan.
0: So a little bit of background on yourself before we kind of zoom in on on open banking, uh, your tax services and advising uh, before they're moving into PE and credit. What was the what's What's the journey? Tell us who's rob where where have you what's the background? Where have you come from?
1: Yeah, so um I was a qualified accountant, used to work in the city for, for E y and Deloitte. I did do some work on sort of wholesale credit and, and corporate credit structuring for kind of institutional markets, things like that behind the scenes. so nothing in the kind of consumer space direct on the pointy end of mm-hmm. lending. Um, but my personal experience was with credit was was was, was really terrible, really bad. so. I moved over from New Zealand about 10 years ago um, and like anyone who essentially is new to the country has to build credit. Um, basically you've got to build, you've got to get bad credit cards first, you've got to get the credit building products, you've got to gamify the score, the system to get enough data on you so then you can then access a, a low cost product. Normally a mortgage being the biggest ultimate goal for many people. Um, but in my case, I unfortunately Got some bad credit cards out that were very expensive and made some bad decisions in my early 20s, um, which resulted in me having sort of a black mark on my credit score, even though I was working sort of in the credit space, um, which is a bit ironic. Yeah. So, um, like anyone, I set up a credit startup about two and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah, like everybody does. Like everyone does, yeah.
0: um, So how's that been, kind of, mentally, socially? What kind of mindset do you need to keep yourself in to, you know, stay the, stay the course, as it were?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It's definitely tons of ups and downs. I was very lucky early on to meet some amazing people who kind of galvanized the idea of Plen into reality. So um, my co-founder, Jamie, um, he's our CTO. He's built the, the Plen score, we call it, which is an open banking-led uh, credit score. And then Kevin, who's ahead of risk, um, who um, has been lending the industry for like 30 years plus. He built one of the first kind of screen-scraping open banking products uh, for a platform, Castlight, which was sold to Experian back in 2018. So the kind of expertise and the kind of know-how of both those guys really like helped kind of bring this to reality and fruition um so i was sort of lucky to have a few of us sharing the journey the ups and downs together not just myself
0: fantastic how have you felt that or how has that journey helped or impacted you personally because it can be tough um and i always try and like eke this out of founders because we don't always get founders (laughs) on the show so yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um yeah, it's not easy, right? All the time. Sometimes it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. What what kind of mindset Absolutely. do you have to keep yourself in?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You kind of, I've gone through different variations where I've sort of tried to subdue my like, subdue it a lot, um, especially in the early days. It was definitely a lot of ups and downs. And because I'm sure you fully aware, like the regulation in in fintech is so much more different than other industries. Um, you can spend a lot of time banging your head trying to get the regulation over the lines, so you can then actually work with customers. Yeah. And um, that was some some, de- some difficult times pre, pre-launch. Um, I think over time though, as things get busier and you've got uh, more obligations and people to sort of look after and, and boards to, to look up to and, and, and updates to, it all kind of gets sort of lost to the side. So I try to not let the kind of downs get to me anymore because there's just so much else going on. Mm. Definitely dwelling up for a little bit and. Me and Jamie, my co founder, and we talk for a bit um, through any of the downs, but reality yeah. is within 20 minutes we're back onto it and yeah. onto the next thing. I'm
0: just going to find that kind of level. Yeah, I, I, I haven't cracked it. I'm sure no, there are ways no. of doing it, and um,
1: I've heard some good ideas from other founders. I mean, I think holidays become a difficult one too, like when you're trying to balance that and yeah. getting away, and um, and then you've got family commitments as well. So like, I think that I haven't cracked that side of it yet. Yeah. There's lots to, lots to learn.
0: Are you guys? like what about the working from home dynamic? Because there's always, I don't know about you, for, for some investors or, like, uh, I don't know how to phrase this politi- in a politically correct way, some like the older generations are used to being in the office all the time. Yeah. Um, have you faced that trouble at all of like, why aren't you in the office? <laughs> like, why are you working from home?
1: It's a good question. I think it's like a common issue facing not just startups, but other industries yeah. too. Um, when I was in Deloitte, for example, they implemented like a complete work, work from anywhere policy, nice. which was like like radical for the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like the world is changing and, and everyone's changing together. Not It's not just FinTech pioneering or tech startups pioneering it. But um, yeah, I, I went to practice of practice that. I feel like the whole kind of, whether you're hybrid or the variation of being hybrid, um, it, it's difficult in some ways, especially when you're trying to build early culture. Um, I haven't definitely worked out the best kind of, yeah. For that, yeah. But normally, like two or three days a week, is generally our kind of approach. Um, and I'll be honest, it has been nice having an office and having a bit of kind of um, a community kind of vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. I fully agree. Yeah, we're not, we're the same. Yeah, NF, yeah. NF, I, two I or three times a week. More than twenty minutes on a Zoom call, I feel like people lose interest. So, oh, fully. It, it only works for a small call. Anything longer than that, and when there's more than a couple of people, you're better doing a meeting in person. Yeah. A lot, <laughs> yeah. lot of things we're working on. Like this could a get lot of political. The same, yeah. Same position, um, the best
0: Well, the market. So let's top wider market. The market is, uh, is where it is. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. Not necessarily a great place. Um, helping or hindering your case for planned?
1: It's a good question. So we position ourselves being like an ethical lender, um, but right now we're seeing enormous demand for for our product and. For probably some of the wrong reasons so a lot of people are trying to cut back on their kind of monthly costs yeah they can't cut back on energy they can't cut back on household bills or um food costs those are all going up
0: actually we can help them do that oh probably. right sorry yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, but credit is one of those few big obligations they could actually kind of refinance yep. and find cheaper solution so a lot of people come to us for consolidation mainly and they're kind of people have got large amounts of credit card debt overdraft debt and they're sort of applying for a kind of low-cost loan for planned for about 10 twelve percent um, but you do get unfortunately some good cases of people doing that people that probably don't need the credit as well they've been situations where they are fully indebted and there isn't really much else they can do apart from go on a debt management plan with a debt charity and try to restructure their debts as opposed to putting on more debt so there's like a really fine line for us where Yes, we want to help people and give them low-cost credit, but not everyone should actually be borrowing at this time either. So it's a really difficult um, position to be in. So um, it's helping from a demand perspective, but we are very conscious that um, we've got to be very careful to be lend to. And the FCA, and, and, and on top of everything else, is putting a lot of pressure on lenders to be far more careful during this time because, yeah, the credit card um, and uh, loan applications are all going up. by now, by later. Yep. Demand is through the roof. Um, so we're seeing a lot of... Demand out there, so um, commercially looks great, but yeah, from an ethical standpoint, you have to be very
0: careful. Yeah, I think it's like a good third of people that end up using AppTub are on BMPL, and so it's you know there's a there's something burgeoning yeah. there that yeah. we should. Uh, it could
1: be a useful tool, but it can also be the sign of potential um, issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's. We have sort of regular kind of meetings internally trying to work it out because that's the, the beauty of open banking and what you guys see as well is you kind of get a full picture of what they're doing and with a credit score you would never have known. You would have just assumed, okay, they're this level then we can lend to them or not lend to them. We get enough data to make a lending decision but then we're like, okay, but actually they've loaded up a ton of pay data recently. Is this really the right decision to be borrowing from us? Mm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a constant kind of internal discussion around where the line sits yeah. And um, we're still learning where that sits as well, but we're trying to be at least as forward focused on it as possible. Yeah.
0: And ethical, right? So certified B Corp. What were the kind of driving factors behind that?
1: Yeah. I mean, from t- from day one, we wanted to, to get that certification. Um, so we, we actually baked into the articles from incorporation. Um, we are very clear that this is, you know, what we're trying to be is a, a the sort of first proper real ethical lender in the space. And the first lender to actually achieve the certification as well, which mm. is really important to us. Um, but there's other things too. so. We're also backed by by Nature Building Society, by Fair by Design, a member of Responsible Finance. So B Corp only gets us so far, but actually there are other kind of standards or high standards that we're trying to trying to hit in terms of um, being a responsible lender in the space. Yeah. And um,
0: how does that kind of or has it helped your consumer communication? Kind of do do people understand what what B Corp means? Yeah.
1: I, th- I think to a certain degree. W- what I find it's interesting is you get a group of people. On sort of more the commercial side of things, or the invest side of things, who are either forward or against it, mm. and what you find is you, you can quickly align yourself with the right partners a lot quicker. What I mean by this is some investors will see this and go, "Oh, well, you must be sacrificing kind of your margins, yeah. the model," and you go, "Okay, fine, we don't have to work together. That's fine. Yeah. That, that's your position." It's we're, qualified we're, out. We're not yeah. going to yeah. we're not going to approach it that way. But then you find that a lot of investors who, who really like that, think actually this is trying to make a difference, and they yeah. are trying to be sustainable at a time when You could just lend as much as you wanted to, because demand is so hot right now. Um, So that's been really useful. And then also for partners too. So um, we're not necessarily B2B, but we have kind of broken a few financing deals with with other platforms where they provide products to their consumers, and they want to use finance of some kind from Plend because it's more ethical, it's lower cost, and we could do big ticket. A good example of this is like solar panels and kind of home improvements. So these deals would not have come about unless we had an ethical positioning. They wouldn't have wanted to work with us. And the rates we offer means an alignment with their product so we can actually provide a real solution to their customers. So it's had a lot of benefits commercially and also from an invest- investing standpoint, which we were not, wouldn't say I was expecting, but yeah. it has made the the discussions and the kind of alignment a lot easier.
0: Okay. So. Yeah, that's an interesting space to be in as well. I mean, this is something that... Um, probably lies quite close to our heart. You talk about saving money on energy. There's yeah. a there's a long-term solution, and that's you know retrofitting solar and you know EVs and so on. So, unfortunately,
1: sure very expensive. The yeah, exactly. The is, and, is, and then also <laughs> demand is really hot for solar right now as well. So even with the the change in kind of the VATs and the VAT rates and um, the grants, prices are going up for solar panels yeah. just recently. So even though overall they've come down, but yeah, it's a space yeah
0: um so let's kind of rewind a little bit talk open banking um we obviously saw this massive transition from screen scraping into uh api first data collection or consumer driven data collection kind of how did that influence your decision in starting plant because it sounds like you had your own you know personal issues let's say or your personal experiences um was it was there some serendipity in that where you like i'm I'm gonna build this thing anyway regardless of of open banking what was the
1: yeah i mean I for i't think we could have done it without open banking okay um it's made yeah the customer journey a lot simpler a lot cleaner we can make decisions a lot easier and um it's easier to find people who have got some sort of expertise in open banking as well there's lots of um you know AISP writers now in, in the u k so you can actually pick up a good pool of talent um so i don't yeah I mean, I'm sure we we would have maybe done a variation of this, but it's really hard to do with open banking. Yeah, because that data is so reliable in many ways. Even though the the classification of it might be poor, oh, yeah. you can rely that it's actually happened. It's, it's real money that's gone in or out of the account, yeah. which is a nice kind of assurance you have. Whereas before, for credit applications, you would put your income on the actual application form, and as a lender, you have no idea if that income is actually real or not. So makes lending a lot easier when you yeah. actually know what their actual salary is as opposed to what the person's claiming.
0: I was going to touch on that a bit later, but the actual quality of data, how have you tackled that problem? Because It's a big challenge. Yeah, <laughs> even today, right? we're writing our own algorithms for categorization of recurring transactions and so on, and, and the insights that come off the back of those. Now, what, what was your approach to that? Did you go out to partners? Have you sounds like you've built a lot of it in-house.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, while the data is, is, is great, because it's, it's definitely genuine data that's happened, you know, occurred, you write the, ca- the classification or the categorization, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, we looked at third parties. I suppose the problem with third parties really is that they're trying to solve everyone's problems. Mm. And the insights that we would like to see are more around regular outgoings, fine data usage, uh, regular stability of income which not every provider was sort of doing or categorizing to a high degree, or yeah. they were kind of fluffing it a bit because they're selling a B2B yeah. solution. So we then decided to go build it in-house about two years ago, and that's been a, a mammoth exercise similar to, to you guys. Yeah. Um, we've got a team of three whose main job is basically just to enrich the data, classify it, find third-party data sets, then hopefully try to correlate and enrich as well. So it's a real a real challenge. Yeah, um,
0: it's the benchmarking we find pretty difficult as well. Yeah. Am I going to, are we going to sit down and go through <laughs> transactions and say, I think this is, you know, our algorithms have done it right, right? Yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah. Massively. That, that is a challenge. So it's a mix of that. We, we do a mix of that and we have a mix of rules that we built in set rules. So, okay. we have our like income rules and things that are more regular that we'll, we'll build a set of yeah. um, algorithms around versus actually physically going and classifying line, they do. there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and that was a lot of the other days was purely. Well, we also acquired lists of like cafes and things like that. other sure. Data sets, but okay. I suppose the problem is uh, merchant ID data keeps changing regularly. Bank data keeps changing. Yeah. New companies get launched, so um, it's sort of the, the the challenge, but also some of the I suppose the IP of an open banking provider in the space is that we, you know, the more data we get, the more intelligent we become, yeah. and we can offer better products. The bigger to the, us. the
0: yeah. more defensible it is. Yeah, so the, So, absolutely. open banking is kind of primarily broken down into two. AIS and PIS, account information and payment initiation, how do the how do the two overlap for you? Have you looked at, because a lot of it is obviously account information services, how do payments play into, into the plan and proposition? Do they?
1: Yeah, yeah. so we, we sort of say internally we're kind of open banking mad. So it, we do <laughs> AIS for, for, the, uh, for the scoring, we do PIS for all the payments, and we also do like enhanced uh, ID as well. So we, we take as much data as we can from the bank in terms of KYC data. Because a big reliance on us is if someone's gone through and authenticated their bank account, you can be relatively sure who they are. Because it's very hard to go to that level of protocol to actually log into your bank account, and then apply for a product. Where with bureau data, you could always apply, also credit bureau data, you could always apply in someone else's name. As long as you knew their address, you could get a match and potentially take a loan out. Mm. Big, big fraud risk. Um, so that's been a massive plus for us. So yeah, fraud, payments and and account information are all massive massive wins we get from open banking. And when VIP obviously is more established, um, I mean we're looking at it with GoCard just right now, but um, we'll definitely be one of the first stoppers of that. We're jumping on yep. as much innovation as we can.
0: We're all over it, we can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's common Yeah, common it's just, right now.
1: When is it when is it gonna be finally what's fully yeah. yeah accessible?
0: Yeah, so what we've got three big three of the big banks here.
1: Yeah, thanks to do it. Yeah. yeah
0: so but, but now, you know, it it should have been out already. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So we're kinda of sat there. Yeah. Um and I think that's the big qualm. We'll touch on um this a little bit later. But our big qualm with open bank is just pace. Like we we yeah. want to we want to move fast, right? It's a classic kind of early stage startup massively, massively. issue. Um but it sounds like for you credit scores are just broken. Um you talk on your website about going beyond the credit score, so that's all the things you've just talked about. What about the other side? You touched on it when we were speaking before this, but um, does open banking expose anyone who might have necessarily good credit?
1: Yeah, so there's sort of two main kind of benefits of open banking in terms of the risk side kind of things. So, one is finding people who have poor scores or poor data points or invisible or thin files, but they've got great income. They're paying all their obligations on time, subscriptions, mm-hmm. they're paying ban on time, so they're paying they look at what we call a stable person, and that's a really, really good thing from a risk standpoint. You know the person's reliable, they're going to meet their obligations, therefore they're a good yeah. uh, decision to lend to. The other thing, the, other, the second half that un, un, unearths is people who are sort of hiding something potentially from you when they're making an application. Um, what I mean by this is you might have a very really good credit score, but you might have data points on your bank information which is not quite as reliable as we'd like, i.e. you've missed subscription payments. Yep. Or you've wrapped up time gambling debts, for example. These are things that you couldn't get from the credit score or credit data, um, but are really helpful for us. Yeah. And if someone comes to us, because we're a near prime lender, we're not the cheapest in the market, but we lend very low for the people we try to serve. If someone has a, a perfect credit score, generally we sort of. Re-
0: Question that. Yeah, yeah. We, we
1: do have a kind of a, a filtering rule or a referral rule at that point where someone else has to, has to actually manually look at it because we call it kind of a dishonest click. Is this person really coming to you for the right reason? So you kind of pick out both sides. You're trying to basically, the middle portion of people where, you know, they've got good data and they've got relatively good credit history, you're sort of lending hundred percent of the time. And these kind of two kind of edge cases, you can sort of either one filter them out or you can two, support them with, with other cost solutions. Okay. So that's sort of the, the overall kind of market. Yeah,
0: and it's an incredibly tough time for consumers, right? So, I mean, um, apps whole thing is trying to bring people clarity and control within their financial management experience for you uh, you recently recently launched the financial inclusion report could you talk to that a little bit some of the the headlines
1: yeah definitely I mean and the focus of this report was it was an amazing piece of research it was um, four and a half thousand interviews and, and 15 case studies across the UK um, with the backing of nationwide step change and a few other universities and debt charities um, the focus of this was credit, credit exclusion, so people's access to credit across the UK. Um, and there was some real startling facts, the biggest one being I think about half the people with existing credit obligations are struggling to repay them, full stop. This is the most recent data we have for this this year. Um, and also some, some pretty, I think we all sort of know this, but I think unfortunately the kind of uh, sort of gender, ethic, ethnic kind of biases in credit as well mm-hmm. are a lot clearer now than we, than we thought before. And this is in a kind of post-COVID economy yeah. as well. So access to credit has got far, far, far worse. And on top of that, lenders sort of tightening their risk banding, especially in the prime space. A lot of banks have sort of been very, very careful. And therefore, people who should have been getting low-cost credit sort of can't no. um, and are going to kind of more low high-cost and short-term solutions. How do you
0: account for those kind of intrinsic biases that you find? Because, you know, open banking data, I know... How old you are, probably know your gender, um, probably infer um, your ethnic background. I don't think we actually pull that as a data point. But so, how are you accounting for that?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I you're you're pulling a, a larger wealth of data. Yeah. The biggest thing we do internally at Planned is we made the decision very early on to hide any uh, residential uh, name data from anyone at risk. Essentially, so when it has to be referred, because everything's automated internally on the score, but if it gets referred to someone, they never know who the person is and where okay. they're from. Because one of the bigger bi- one of the bigger biases is actually regional breakdown. So, there's certain parts of the UK um, where the, the postcode that you apply from generally has a worst credit score. And that's partly to do with the ONS data, so unfortunately a lot of uh, the credit score is built up from statistics data. Mm-hmm. So that's normally out of date by a couple of years. And especially post-COVID, people have First, a lot more across the country in terms of incomes and things like that. So, if you live in those kind of areas, you're going to get the worst chance of getting credit. So, um, a big part of this was saying, okay, we don't really care where you really live, we don't care what your name is, but we'll look at your income and we'll look at your outgoings. And that's sort of the, the core data that we need to make a decision on. So, there will be biases that, you know, intrinsically that we, we won't be able to solve completely, yeah. but a vast majority that we we'll are to, to wipe out. A good example of this is. Um, a lot of lenders don't lend, for example, in Northern Ireland, which is I find mad in some ways, but there's historical kind of biases there among what would happen in the past. And um, even when we made our first loans in Northern Ireland, I had a risk was like, Do you really want me doing this? Like I would never do this ever in my previous roles. <laughs> and I'm like you're kidding me? Like this right. is a good risk. They're in a the house, they've got good good security, like they're paying their bills on time. Anywhere else in the UK we would absolutely lend this person. So I'm very glad to say we've got quite a lot of loans across across Brilliant. the UK, quite yeah. equally distributed. Um, but that's a yeah, big kind of bias we're trying to destroy. Yeah.
0: So, what about, what about that education piece then? You said 50% of people are struggling. Um, it's the same in energy, rights. I think it's back in March, almost yeah. almost half the population said they struggled to pay their energy bills, which ain't going to get any easier. No. Um, so, how do, how do you manage that kind of consumer relationship, that conversation as you go?
1: It's a good question. I think the main thing for us, we didn't want to build something that was um, short term or was like a facility that a customer could draw on. I think a lot of, especially my personal experience, but a lot of people that struggle with credit, it's generally when they've got like a credit card product or an overdraft product where they can actually constantly draw down on it, repay it and draw down on it. And it becomes a loan in in, in itself because you're constantly using it. So that was the main thing for us. We were never gonna offer a a facility product. It was gonna be a fixed product. You take it once you repay it monthly and that's it there's no ability to draw down further funding um so that was sort of a key thing for us but education's a really interesting one um we've looked at ourselves a few times and thought about providing educational tips and hints a lot of lenders you might notice that when they decline you they'll say look at your credit file mm. learn about your credit file learn about how to gamify your credit score use a, a credit builder yeah but the credit score is so wrong and so broken. Why the hell would we want to get in a fight anymore? Yeah. And our big ethos is, if you can afford it, we should be able to lend it to you. We should be able to access it now. Why do you have to wait two or three years building bad credit using bad credit cards to build credit? Yeah. Um. So I'm not overly personally a big believer in sort of pushing education down people's throats instead of saying, you know, improve your credit score and say you do it. I feel like there has to be a lot more done from industry to improve access to products. And that's sort of what we're trying to do. Is improve our access. Now we can offer partner deals and things that might be relevant to the, the customer. So we're really looking at what we call a declines journey. So if you can't be able to a planned, who could lend to you that's still ethical? Or what else could you do? Or are you at an extreme point now you need to go to a, a debt management um, mm. provider or um, a, a debt charity? So it's sort of putting the customer, getting them more options than, than they, they need. I think that's sort of my focus or our focus, of plan not so much. How's, here's how you build up credit because yeah. I don't feel the credit score is a relevant tool
0: anymore. That seems like quite the seems like a touch point for the financial management experience. Whereas you sit, kind of after that decision has been made from a consumer, say, "Oh, I need to go get some financing." Um, Have you thought about how you kind of eke into that, or is it just you know focus on core product today and, and look at these kind of things in the future?
1: Yeah, massively. Like, a, a big a big of our plan is not to actually <clears> go out and acquire customers ourselves. Most of our customers come from referral partners, actually, who the customer's gone for a separate journey and then gets referred to us because we can offer them a deal at point of sale, point sure. of application. So um, we're not, like, out there trying to acquire customers and saying, hey, get a loan, at low cost. Yeah. Um, other partners are passing them to us. That's definitely the kind of the future of where we're seeing credit going. Customers aren't going to their bank anymore for credit. They're going to, yeah, like uh, personal management apps, they're going to point of sale, they're going to super apps mm-hmm. to effectively find the best deal for them and Flend is one of those providers essentially that built in the credit piece. Our expertise yeah. is around risk. It's not about building an app or creating a sticky solution. It's about yeah. writing a very, very good product at a low cost.
0: I think you could really spiral out on the topic of super apps and I have like eight <laughs> questions listed here but we are getting close to end of time. So, yeah. Um, just on the topic of super apps, right, the concept is bring all your data into one place. Um, how, do you, how does opening up, or does opening up other data points beyond kind of financial data, does that support what you're trying to do, is that something you're interested in, how, how, how would you look at kind of leveraging stuff yeah, like your energy usage, that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, 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 it's probably in different ways as well, so a big part of it is journey, so how does a customer find our product, how they go through our journey? So if a customer comes from a third party, generally the customer is more reliable, they've gone and researched the best deal, they're a bit more savvy financially, so we'd offer them normally a, a lower cost product, and then because they're more likely to repay it as well, so it's a good risk. If they come to us directly, we don't really advertise much externally, mm-hmm. because right now it's a, it's a difficult time to, to push credit on people, um, we might decline more people or offer a higher rate, It's slightly higher risk, you don't know where they've come from. Um, If they come from point-of-sale and they've gone for a journey with a user, a good example of this is uh, one of the solar panel providers that we finance for, the customer has to physically install the item in their house before we give them finance. So there's a real positive journey there out of the data points in the journey which we say, okay, good, we can give you a lower cost solution for that particular problem. So yeah, we're we're always keen to kind of jump on that. So while the plan score or the kind of open banking is very useful, it's good to know where the customers have come from. And that journey, the more touch points or friction there is in that journey, the kind of safer the loan becomes, yeah. the product becomes. Um, especially if they sit within the master's ecosystem, it's a yeah. massive benefit.
0: Risk, all yeah. about risk. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. Would you say the like Gen Zs, late millennials, are more receptive to kind of opening up and sharing these data points? And or have you, have you seen any trends in that sense? Because from
1: our data points, it, it's we haven't lent that many young people. Actually, I, I mm. thought this was going to be a lot more popular with younger people, but actually. Yeah. Um, the biggest demographic we're helping right now are people in the sort of late 30s, quite secure incomes, many of which actually have mortgages and own homes, um, just have a lot of debt to consolidate sure. right now. That, that's sort of the, the first product we launched. It was still quite new. Um, but I definitely want to go to other markets, and I think it will depend on the channels we, we use and who we're working with. So we're looking at working with two super apps at the moment, or two super appish platforms. One that lends to, uh, works to frontline workers. Um, and the other one that works with um, people who are sort of not self-employed but have contractor companies and things like that so you 'll get different demographics depending on the channel you you, yeah. you, you sort of uh, unlock and then obviously the risk will be different depending on those those characteristics certainly
0: um, we are getting close to time. so a couple of quick fire ones what's what do you think's been the biggest challenge for you you know throughout the last couple of years running Plan? what 's the...? That's
1: a good question um I would say, and it's, it's relevant only to my part of plans, because I'm very much on the kind of external side and fundraising side, I think networking was one early challenge which I didn't grasp properly. Mm. Um, I definitely didn't build connections and, and contacts the way I should have done. Um, I was definitely very unconnected at the start, um, and that was a real challenge. Sorry about it. To, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I think yeah. it's everyone's kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and even after our last fundraising round, I sort of stopped talking to people, and that was a massive Okay. Yeah. so I'm now more conscious <laughs> to kind of keep contact with people and just you, you never know where relationships go our, our chairman who ended up being a, a core investor and planned he's another founder of another fintech I mean we didn't go out to find him as an investor he just basically loved the journey and after nine months jumped on the on board no. so I mean it's just it's a common story you have from other founders but um, definitely something which I've taken to heart and thought okay yeah. I need to get good at networking yeah So,
0: tell me about it yeah you came out of A biology degree at Imperial. I was like, (laughs) I need to suddenly have this fintech network. Um,
1: Yeah, you've got a great idea, but then it really does come down to who you know and and who can link up to and things like that. So, yeah, 100% better.
0: Um, We should probably do another episode at this point, given the number of questions (laughs) I have left. Uh, The big one I always like to ask, open banking, success or failure?
1: Yeah, massive success. I mean, to get the infrastructure in place in the first place. Whether the adoption has moved as fast as it should have done, I think it comes down to, to... User cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really. We don't go and scream at open banking to customers. Customers don't care about open banking. They care about a journey. Is the journey seamless? And are they getting the best experience? That's my next school? question. Oh, is it okay? Fine. Yeah. Well, no, no, no it's answer. perfect.
0: Like, does it matter? Yeah. Well, exactly. Like, who just, cares if, if I know as a consumer what open banking is? As long as it's, yeah, it's the end result, right? You don't go to Amazon to pay for something. You go to Amazon to buy a, you know, four-year pair good. of socks. Or I saw
1: a lot of people saying like, who cares about Web free or. Um, DeFi. Consumers just want the best product, the best offer. And if that means there's a, a blockchain element to it, fine. Yeah. That's great. Um, so same thing with open banking. It's a fantastic infrastructure and the UK is doing some fantastic work in it. So maybe not moving as fast as we want it to, but it's definitely a lot further ahead than other, other jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it becomes a sort of smart data right in the future where, yeah, there's basically the ability of the customer to, to share more than just banking data, but a whole mm. raft of data with well, to get the best product possible. That's
0: what we're hoping for. And that's <laughs> what we're working towards. Um, so last 30 seconds, minute, what comes next for Planned and where can people find you?
1: Yeah, um, so the big thing for us is launching with more partners. So um, I mentioned these two super apps that we're, we're launching kind of a credit solution with them. Um, the plan is to launch about eight different kind of major partner uh, lending platform, uh, lending solutions soon, uh, Well, by the end of next year at least, that's the kind of internal deadline. Um, and to really kind of grow, plan to being, I think, the kind of, not just the ethical lender in the space, but being the kind of trusted credit partner of many platforms out there. People who want to embed credit into their their flow or to their consumers, they can go with us because we're guaranteed to be affordable and, and treat their customers properly. We, you know, we accept more people than uh, other platforms will, and therefore you know you're going to get the best deal for your, your consumers. Um, what was the question, sorry?
0: Where can we find you oh. right, if people want to search Plan, um, get in touch. Our website
1: website plan.co.uk, um, but that's the consumer-facing piece. Um, we're also quite big on social media, and um, yeah, we work with other partners. We're sort of nestled into other other flows. Cool. So um, yeah,
0: find you and out so there somewhere. Keep yeah, that, yeah. Keep your well, eyes peeled.
1: My, my hope is, you know, in the future, <laughs> you take up credit, you wouldn't even know it's planned. That, yeah. That's really the the ultimate aim here: is not to be as I said, not to be a super app. Everyone else is good at that. They're doing, you know, yeah. working on owning the customer and the enabler. Yeah. Absolutely, we want to be that trusted partner, plugged in behind the scenes that no one sees, but does all the heavy lifting.
0: Perfect, great. Well, Rob, a pleasure. Thank you for thanks, our, thanks for coming down, and thank you for watching. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Walk Walkabout.